Today on Foodstuffs. Brian finds out how one Toronto group is saving for the future of agriculture. And then Jess speaks to a woman who substitutes soy sauce for coffee. And coffee for soy sauce. And makes us all drool in the process. This is Brendan Behrman from the Toronto Seed Library, and you're listening to Foodstuffs. People who like to cook and like make food that tastes really good and share it with people should not be food stylists because that's not what it's about. It's about making food look really pretty for a camera. So Jess, what's what's going what's going on? What's going on? What? You had a rough weekend. <laughs> Tell me about it. I it's all good things. That's okay. the thing. I can't complain, but when um you live in the city and there's a, a lot of geographical space to cover and just things to do that take time, um, like sets amounts of time, like having to watch uh, movies for research or listen to things for the podcast or whatever. There's no real fudging with the time. Um, Wait a second. What are you talking about? I thought I thought what happened was you knocked a can of paint over. <laughs> listen... I got off work early the other night with the hope of like going home and getting ahead of all this work and get home just before midnight starving, but then walk in on the scene and um, my roommate is moving her things and uh, she's moving some of my things truthfully. And so I I jump in to help or do my job or whatever. Um, But in my hunger and hangriness, I was a little bit hasty and um, a can of paint spilled there Quite dramatically down the stairs. Nice. Um, latex paint, which I just happen to be allergic to, which is just a little oh, bit, even, uh, even more fun. So it was kind of like everything precipitated by just being hungry. Yes. Um, anyway, I always push things to the last second. As soon as that happens, then I stop um, eating. Well, taking care uh, of yourself. <laughs> stop taking care of myself. Um, and then also. Because I leave things to the last second, as soon as I realize that I am hungry, then I'm eating the worst things. This all precipitate. How are we talking about me? Because this all came from a discussion <laughs> where we were supposed to be talking about you and reflecting back to Megan's interview. I just wanted to get in you knocking over a can of paint <laughs> down the stairs. That's you, all I wanted to so get So not only do I have to be embarrassed for anyone who walks into my house right now, I also have to be embarrassed for anyone who's listening. That's yes. cool. Yeah. Thanks. Just spread it out. Exactly. Yeah, I'm but you're right. Now, I did so. have a... a uh, I got some rough news this weekend in that I, I've got a buddy who's had, I've had all, all these inflammation issues in my joints and I had a buddy that was having all kinds of inflammation issues in his hip and he got rid of his pain in the worst way possible. <laughs> he gave up carbs. Yeah. And this is just the last thing I wanted to hear. I, <laughs> this is, goes back to, like you said, like that conversation we had with Megan Telpner where it's like the writing's on the wall you know what you got to do or at least try. Yeah. I don't know if it's definitely going to help me, but I know I should try. Yeah. And I did the other day. One day. This The, the other morning, <laughs> instead of having uh, eggs on toast, I had an omelet, no toast. Mm-hmm. Then for lunch, I had, I had a pizza, a whole pizza. <laughs> so it didn't even last a day. You no. said the other day. But I, the other morning. Yeah, I, I did. I did get somewhat far. All right. So, so anyway, I'm going to continue to push it away, and eventually it'll blow up in my face. And when it does, I'll have this to reflect on. I'm not going to enable you anymore, though. That's. I. You think you will? 
Because come on, what are we going to do? What are we going to do for lunch that doesn't involve carbs? How do you salads put together a meal? I want to eat more salads too. Solidarity. Let's go. Solidarity? Oh, no. All right, moving moving along. Uh, Brian, you went to the Toronto Reference Library recently and uh, learned a little bit more about one of the city's different sort of lending programs. Yes, it's an idea that's been germinating for no. a few years now in the CD of Toronto. No. Yes, join joining in solidarity, the seeds of change. Oh. The, I mean, the fruits of their labor are finally. No, being- okay. Let's before this gets out of control. This is Brian speaking with Brendan Berman of the Toronto Seed Library. What we do essentially is we give away seeds for free, and at the end of the growing season, people save some seeds from what they grow, and they return the seeds back to us. Just like a public library gives away books or DVDs, and then people watch them or read them and return them back to their community. It's the same thing at our project, except with seeds. The other major part of what we do is education. Um, Sort of as people have moved from the countryside to cities and as agriculture has changed, seed-saving knowledge has sort of fallen by the wayside. Can you tell me how seed-saving has changed over the years? So um, the seed system has evolved a lot over the course of the 20th century and the 19th century. Sort of at the beginning of the 19th century, it was still very much so smallholder peasants. They were, no one could sort of claim to own a particular seed. Some were used by certain villages, but it was held by the village in common. Um, Same with maybe ethnic groups or other cultural groupings. And as time went on and agriculture advanced, the state got more and more involved with the way that seeds were distributed and bred. The government sort of uh, took a whole bunch of the traditional varieties and bred them very intensely to create more, they call them modern varieties, or ones that are more resistant to very specific diseases or that give much higher yields, um, things like that. And they did a lot of good work. You can't just say that the government era of seed work was just total BS. A lot of advances were made. Um, And as we all know, Corporations have become more and more involved with government as time has come on, and the government has been ceding a lot of their traditional authorities that they had to corporations, and the seed system is no uh, standout from that trend. Um, the Probably the most famous example is Monsanto, but there's also a few other um, companies that are involved. Um, Syngenta is one, DuPont, for example. They then took these life forms that the government held and was developing for everyone, and their model is to hold and develop them and claim the breeders' rights on them and to patent these life forms. And that's been a massive sort of shift from seeds being held in commons at the beginning of the seed system to now a lot of these varieties are being held patented by corporations, and that's been a massive change. We did mention how uh, part of this the culture of seed saving change has had some benefits. We've seen some improvements. One of the things that we've seen as people, some people view as a negative is um, the uh, loss of many different kinds of, of seeds. Can you talk about uh, heirloom seeds and, and, and the seeds that we've lost over the last hundred years or so? Oh yeah, that's been an incredible loss, both culturally and in terms of food security wise as well. Uh, over the course of the 20th century. So they did one survey in 1983, looking at past seed catalogs from the beginning of the 20th century. 
and just finding the vast array of varieties that were available to farmers at that point because the seed companies at that time were buying from many, many, many independent farmers instead of just a few big sources. And uh, they found that over the course of the 20th century, 92% of the heirloom varieties were lost from 1903 to 1983. And since then, we can only assume that even more have been lost. And this loss was uh, very extreme for both, as I mentioned earlier, human culture, uh, in the past, sort of each village would have had its own variety that they were growing of a particular vegetable or something, and that's been lost. Um, in addition, a lot of these varieties, we don't know what types of resistances they had. They could have been very heat tolerant, they could have resisted various pests. So that whole resource has been lost um, to the seed breeders, to people who eat in general too. So everybody has lost um, quite a lot from uh, the destruction of heirlooms. How is what you guys are doing at the Toronto Seed Library um, addressing some of these losses? Yeah, so uh, the best way to combat these losses is to get everybody to save seeds again. And that's a major part of what we do is education and um, sort of getting that knowledge out there again. Almost every workshop that I have, there's almost at least one person who doesn't realize that in order to get a seed, you need to have a flower first. That's the level of disconnect that we're dealing with when it comes to knowledge around seed saving and plant growing and food in general. Uh, so it's really important that at least basic breeding knowledge and seed saving knowledge is put out there back so that everybody um, can be doing this on their own again. That's really the only way we're going to be able to combat the loss of the heirloom varieties. Now, and seed saving is something that, I mean, and you mentioned Monsanto, both these things sort of linked together have been in the news a lot over the last few years. So is this in response to um, the anti-Monsanto movement? Are we talking about the same market, or is there are we talking about different people? Yeah, that's a pretty good point. Um, Monsanto specifically, if we're talking about the company Monsanto, they specifically market seeds to farmers who are buying for acres and acres and acres of one crop, usually corn or soybeans, um, things like that. Whereas we're focusing more on giving individual growers access to heirlooms and high-quality food. So fundamentally we have different missions. So we're not really going out into the countryside and offering 15 acres worth of corn seed. It's right. just totally beyond our capacity as an organization. We don't even, the total amount of corn we have is probably around half an acre, for example. So and that way we're not really competing with them. They're marketing to big-scale farmers. Yeah. We're talking about a different market, but there is sort of a, uh, again, like we said, sort of almost like a moral response. Yeah, definitely. Um, because... Or opposition to um, that school of thought. Definitely, yeah. Uh, we're offering a totally different vision of agriculture and a totally different vision of um, plant ownership and plant rights and breeders' rights and seed savers' rights and all that. Uh, is just totally in contrast to what Monsanto is doing. And who is who's actually using this, this service? Who is looking like what part of the market or what what gap are you are you filling? So there's a pretty big need for seed um, all over the world and here in Toronto. Uh, the sort of the market can't really meet the demand. There's way more demand for high quality organic seed than is available. And we're sort of there to fill that gap. We're also there to fill the gap, especially for people who may not be able to afford 
um, high quality organic seeds. They can run as high as $4 a packet and when you're buying something like 30-40 packets to stock a full garden that ends up being extremely expensive for a lot of people and that's something that we can provide um, so we're there to fill that gap as well. It's a food security project, an education project, uh, literacy project we call right, it. Right, okay, yeah. I want to actually get to the origins of, of the Toronto Seed Library. Where did this idea come from and how did you get going? So the Toronto Seed Library grew out of uh, Occupy Gardens. Uh, there were a few events that really got the ball rolling. One of them was uh, CD, Occupation of CD Hall. Okay. Where a whole bunch of we just held a seed exchange right there in the middle of City Hall. A whole bunch of councillors came by and talked to us, and it was a great time. And there was another event at the Toronto Stock Exchange, and it sort just sort of snowballed. It was an idea whose time and place had sort of come. Um, we grew extremely, extremely rapidly from one traveling branch that would pop up at events and table um, at random places like City Hall or the stock market at the beginning of 2013 and today we have around 26 physical locations across the city of Toronto. Wow. Is this the the future of agriculture? Are we going more to getting more to a place where perhaps we're moving away from heavy commercial farming and getting more into uh, seed saving, heirloom, connected to the earth, or is that always going to be a very, very small subset of of farming and agriculture? That really depends on how many people get involved with agriculture. Hopefully the market will sort of, uh, here I can go justifying capitalism or something, but uh, you know as there is a greater demand for organic food, um, hopefully there will be some shifts around that. Right. But overall we really hope that agriculture will progress into a smaller scale model, uh, more focused on um, not as obsessed with yield, I guess I should say, and right. not as obsessed with um, money in general. I mean... And maybe the same product, the same time. I mean, I think that's a big part of, uh, of that practice, too, is getting the same product. Oh, yeah. Uniformity. Yield, yeah, exactly. High-yielding uniformity and uh, ability to ship. But this like is, you're saying, a lot of it has to do with what the customer demand is. Yeah. Right? So if, the, if people sort of realize that there are, you know, like uh, over a hundred different varieties of tomato. Why am I only buying one at the supermarket? If once people start demanding that variety again. The market will the market, yeah, yeah, well, theoretically it should, yeah. according to free market principles. But we all know about the theory of free market principles. I mean, that's why the seed library exists, to fill <laughs> the holes of the free market. So um, I think I'm going to stop you before you spin off. The, uh, yeah, that's here. it. I'm just going <laughs> to... Hey, man, I really appreciate you. Uh, Perfect. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Thank yep. you so much. That was Brian in conversation with Brendan Berman, the chief librarian of the Toronto Seed Library, a local group that's hoping to expand the number of heirloom vegetable varieties to the greater community. Yes, their stock of seeds is growing Brian? every... What? What? Moving along. Uh, um, that was really great. Yes. Brendan is lovely. It makes me think of season two of um, Mind of a Chef when we go with Sean Brock to visit with Glenn Roberts, who is the head of Anson Mills. If you've seen this, these names are familiar. If not, um, Glenn Roberts basically kind of led the charge on bringing back all these beautiful heirloom vegetables and crops to the south um, that had kind of fallen by the wayside in the interest of um, 
higher yields, manufacturing, all the agricultural. things that Brendan was talking about. Really. Exactly. Um, all this to say, heirloom vegetables are not only important for crop diversity and for stronger stronger crops; they're also so much more delicious. And that's really the name of the game. Like seriously, we should be thinking about foods that are delicious and nutritious. I don't want to choose them based on what is the highest yield, what can withstand shipment. Um, so kudos to Brendan and the Toronto Seed Library for bringing it back to that. So we'll put our web, put their website up on our website, and you, uh, you can check it out at foodstuffs.life. And now we're going to learn about the secret world of food styling. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my friend Michelle has been a freelance food stylist and recipe tester for a number of years now, and one of our mutual friends suggested that I interview, and I really can't believe that we haven't already. Yeah, you know what they say, Jess, never get too big to use your friends. <laughs> but honestly, this sounds a little bit like a dream job. Turns out that I think it is, but maybe not for the reasons you're thinking. Okay, well, let's get into it. So here's Jess with food stylist Michelle Rabin. I, I don't know where all these rumors even began, or if they're true or not. But the glue and the and the cereal spoon, like it's not really milk uh, and on the yeah, on the yeah. cereal box. It's glue. I think that's like another huh. myth that I'm gonna bust now. It's milk or cream. <laughs> um, right. There's other things in there that are helping the like the cereal resist water right. or moisture. And that's really the fakest it gets. Right. It's just protecting it, like, you know, using some Scotch guard or whatever. What what are the days before a shoot like for you? Um, so there's always like a shop day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get the recipes or whatever you're doing. Sometimes you don't even get a recipe. You just get an inspiration shot. So you just look at the shot and say, okay, you know, there's gooseberries and chicken legs and, you know, some noodles in that shot. So I have to go get all that or whatever you need for the recipe. And then you have to bring it up to your apartment and keep it in your fridge. And so <laughs> there's like, if you, I've done a cheese shoot where there has been like $500 worth of cheese in my fridge <laughs> and that's kind of hard to stare at. Um, but actually November and December are and March are the best months to food style and it's because you can leave the food in your car overnight without the fear of it freezing (laughs) it's just a refrigerator right and so this is this is my favorite time because it does become stressful thinking about walking up and down my stairs and carrying big heavy things into my car at seven in the morning and making sure that you know, I remember to open my freezer and be like, did I remember the, that frozen product or yeah, yeah, that yeah. thing in my cupboard or whatever? But, you know, at the end of the day, if you forget something, it's hopefully not the end of the world. Right. And that's another thing that food stylists need to know how to do. It's like, if you forget something, problem solved, figure it out. Just yeah. because no one's going to be eating it anyways. Like, you can likely fake something. Okay. What substitutions have you had to pull quick fast? Um, oh, my God. It's endless. Like, it's just, we use, um, dips are a big one. So, like, I remember putting, like, chives into vanilla yogurt and, like, cucumber (laughs) to make it look like tzatziki. Yeah. And, uh, and, like, it smells so weird because, like, it's not a combination that you're used to. Yeah, vanilla and chives. Yeah, but, like, you know, using, um... Nutri-Whip is something that, like, stands on set much longer than whipped cream. So you always substitute, like, things that 
don't right. taste very good for mm-hmm. for the way they look. Um, soy sauce is like a replacement for coffee or other way around. Right. Fair enough. So I would imagine, depending on the day, friends coming by your house, looking in your fridge can be kind of crazy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually... And it's all not your own food. But sometimes it is. Like, the shoot ends and you've bought... Uh, or I went and bought, you know, 12 chickens for swap-outs, and it turns out uh, we only used three of them. Guess who's going home with nine chickens? And it's like, <laughs> I'm having a party now. Um, and so one of the perks of the job is is a lot, a lot of food that you get to take home and share with your friends and family. And then in Toronto, there's also this thing called Ben's Trading Zone, which I feel like was maybe part of <laughs> do you not want to talk about that no actually <laughs> it's funny because um some things we I did a shoot for coconut oil mm-hmm. and I had to buy tubs of it yeah um and that's like one of the number one sought after things yeah Buns Trading Zone is basically a money free Facebook uh, facilitated trading zone between strangers and coconut oil is really really popular. Yeah, so I actually got a really nice silk shirt for a tub the other nice. day. I did a chia seed um, story once mm-hmm. and so chia seeds, agave like those are the things that I always just take home because I'm like someone is going <laughs> to flip out over this package that I can put together for them. What are some of the things that you've gotten out of it? Like, what are the best trades that you've made um, with these byproducts? Oh, once I did a story on uh, steaks over the summer. Oh, my God. It was for Canada AM. And we had to grill all these steaks, and they had we had so many left over. And I remember going to a coffee shop and seeing a friend and being like, I need a, a cell phone. And somehow we discussed how he had one. Anyways, um... I traded the cell phone for all the stakes in my car. <laughs> and I thought that was, this is the phone. It's still, I still have yeah. it. It's my iPhone 5, and I, I can't believe I got it for free. It's just so crazy. That is amazing and insane. Yeah. Um, I'm going to make a clunky segue here and just on the, on the phone tip. How much has everyone taking pictures of their food affected that industry obviously you have come into the industry after that was a trend but do you hear how people in that industry feel about it does does anyone talk about it um has it made food styling more important less important has it changed it in any relevant way yeah I actually think that it's made my job better because people want to see beautiful food and um most of the people that are on Instagram and trying to, like, be foodies and make their food look good are just, you know, lawyers and people in the world that just have an interest. And Mm -hmm. they're the people that are looking and caring about the things that I'm doing as a professional. I think it's great. I think that, like, people being interested in food and wanting to share what they're making and share their recipes is, is... is... you know, is a is a great thing for for this industry. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll ever be without a job. People will always need food stylists. Mm-hmm. You can't bring someone who likes to Instagram a photo of their dinner 
to a photo shoot and expect them to know what to do. It's just, it's completely different. And it would be naive for them to think that they could be food stylists just because they make, you know, their their pies look really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Or know. they like to eat out at good restaurants. Sure. <laughs> it's like, it's really different. So I'm not threatened at all by by people posting and wanting to see and I think that the the ability to share on Instagram and Pinterest is inspiration yeah that's all and going back it's interesting because you're talking about because me working in a restaurant the number of photos that I see being taken all the time right um but you're talking about how those dishes are actually not the things that make people salivate when they're looking through um what like bon appetit or whatever i don't know like when i look at pictures that people look at like that people take at restaurants like i'm like that looks the lighting is never good it kind of looks like like this like dark weird thing that's going on and then you look at yeah like you know food and drink like savoir like bon appetit and like you look at these pictures and like the camera quality like is so good you can see like you know the seeds inside you know exactly but like, even just seeing those crumbs on the surface, cutting board yeah. or whatever there's a it's like you said there's a story it there that's happening yeah and i can feel the day that goes around eating that meal sure or, you know like we're sitting down after a nice hike I got my crusty bread. I really want to eat a good, like, stew right now or whatever. And those are the conversations that we actually have on set. That's Because we we do want to create that story. So we look at what's going on and we're like, well, what's going on here? You know, what's, like, who would do that? Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, you were on, you're on the couch. I remember this one day where we had a plate of cookies and the, the, there was a teacup on the plate. And... So I was like, well, who puts a teacup on the cookie plate? Like, that's... No one would ever do that. But we were like, no, imagine you're watching TV, and, like, you're reaching over, but you don't want to use a saucer, but, like, you don't have a coaster, so you're just going to move your cookies over and put your... And, like, people were like, no, that looks ridiculous. And so I don't think it actually became a shot, but it was, like, a huge divide in the studio. We I were didn't... like, I would do that! <laughs> exactly. Like, that looks so normal! And people were like, that looks foreign like I would never do that it's just fewer dishes and I want to watch Netflix exactly take it take it easy on my couch tonight exactly yeah I get that story I would be on your side sure and it kind of looked like a casual night alone watching tv yeah no one's watching yeah anyway so that's like one of those like I don't know what so yeah I guess my point being like I wonder if because so many people are documenting these beautiful perfect curated plates like they're the trend there's relief and there's um, innovation happening in this direction where it's going back to being a little messy and rustic and yeah having it try to be more day to day um yeah I think it's just what people want to look at Mm -hmm. but I mean that's just the style I subscribe to and that I think is best but I think that maybe if you spoke to another food stylist they would feel so different and I've like I mean I apprenticed a couple different ones and you know some of them like fan out their apple slices perfectly when they're putting them on the plate beside their grilled cheese sandwich right and I'm like no one does that (laughs) that looks so weird yeah um and but you know some people want to look at that perfectly fanned out apple slice and like the perfectly stacked grilled cheese sandwich and like 
or whatever it is, but I want to see my cheese like gooing down, mm-hmm. melted all over, and the apples just like thrown around the set. Like, mm-hmm. I just think that's so much more appetizing. Yeah, for sure. Well, I haven't eaten dinner yet, and I'm very hungry. Then, girl, you got to do it. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us about food styling. My pleasure. Mm-hmm. That was Jess with food stylist Michelle Rabin. What an interesting job. Yeah, and so many crazy offshoots, byproducts, whatever you call it, um, involved in this. Yeah. I don't know if anyone knows that um, who isn't friends with a food stylist, but uh, especially in this moment in time in Toronto where this funny online, like as if it's perfectly symbiotic for her, I think. Um, And my friend Chloe was the one that I referred to earlier who suggested that I talk to her about it. And instantly I, I was thinking about why she intimately knows that side of things, which is because of Bun Straighting Zone, because Chloe would, you know, bring mm-hmm. a bottle of wine over. And then Michelle was basically like, go grocery shopping in my kitchen. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and it's beautiful food. That's the thing. And what's she going to do with it? So um, that's so cool. reached the end of another episode of Foodstuffs. Thanks very much to Brendan Berman, the chief librarian at the Toronto Seed Library. And I also want to thank Jacob Akiri Moreland, who is also part of the Seed Library. You might remember him from a previous episode, episode who helped two. Uh, set the, this interview up. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jacob. And thank you to Michelle Rabin for the tea and company. And thanks again to Chloe Anderson for suggesting I bring my recorder along. If you want to see examples of Michelle's work, head over to michellerabin.com. Thanks as always to Eric Betlam, Sam Petit, and Ken Stauer from CIUT for being such gracious hosts. Thanks so much, you guys, and thanks to you for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Foodstuffs Life, and also on Facebook by searching Foodstuffs. And on the web at foodstuffs.life. I'm Brian Goman. And I'm Jessica Walker. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you in two weeks. Adios. Adios.